Shalom, shalom, world changers. Welcome, welcome. Good to see you guys again. Tonight, we're going to get into the passage in the Bible about uh, David becomes king over Israel. We read the portion last week about David becoming king over Judah, but now we're going to be talking about when David becomes king over Israel. So we're going to be reading from 2 Samuel chapter 5 and 1 Chronicles chapter 11 and 12 and also Psalm 133. Got to get a little bit of Psalm in Psalms in there as well. Uh, it's always good. So Yes, tonight's going to be an awesome night, and I ha I'm live streaming as well on TikTok as well as on YouTube and several other platforms as well. So in the next two or three weeks, uh, Lord willing, we'll have Onia back. Uh, two to three week mark, we'll, we'll have actually, you know, give or take. Um, don't have anything like, have to firm up some things, but... Um, He'll be coming back, uh, Lord willing, next month uh, to talk about some of the corruptions of the scripture. Okay, like remember on um, uh, yesterday, actually, I dealt with a few of the contradictions in the Gospels. He's going to come and talk about some of the corruptions of the scriptures. And he's got, I know, a lot, a lot to share in that regard. So it's something to really look forward to. Also, uh, in Around mid-July, somewhere around mid-July, he's also coming back. Again, the exact date is yet to be confirmed, but he's also coming back again uh, to share with us. Something is very, very exciting, actually. He has got an extraordinary work that's going on right now uh, in his um, uh, progress of of translating and uh, I don't even know, I don't even know if I have the words for it, but it's more than just translating. It's actually um, making another, uh, basically a Bible. Okay. And, he, and in, in, uh, uh, in July, he's going to show us uh, and share with us some from the book of Esther. And uh, we will, we will be reading the book of Esther ourselves in our um, in our daily Bible readings uh, in mid July, and so he's going to come on, yeah, probably just just after that, shortly after that, maybe the next day or so, Lord willing, and share the stuff that he's got. It's just absolutely amazing, just to give you guys a little bit of an idea. I mean, line by line, literally line by line. Uh, uh, Comparing the Masoretic text to the to the Septuagint to the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, many different things. Awesome, and and also as well, we are going to be reading both the Hebrew Esther as well as the Greek Esther. I'm not sure if it, if you're all aware of this, but uh, there are two. I guess you would call it two different books of Esther. Uh, there's the common Hebrew. Book of Esther that you would find in most, um, you know, King James Bibles today. But there's also what they call the Greek Esther, which includes all of the uh, Hebrew uh, discourse uh, passages, I guess you would say, uh, translated into Greek. But it also adds a whole lot more to it. So I'm sure um, Onia is going to, you know, he's got a lot to share uh, when, when we get to that. So that's something we're, I'm looking forward to. And some of you guys might say, well, why? I, I, I mean, I had this question yesterday. It's like, why should we, why should I point out 
contradictions or why should we talk about Bible corruptions? And um, in my own testimony of my own walk with the Lord, my own um, uh, my own discourse of my own uh, trajectory of faith and knowledge of the scriptures, way back when, when I first started walking with, with God in 1992, when I first started really getting serious with God, uh, and I, I um, attended churches and listened to a lot of sermons um, from the evangelical, you know, uh, conservative uh, doctrines. And you know that, I, I mean, I, along with many other people, uh, have said, hey, you know what? The Bible is uh, the inerrant, infallible uh, Word of God with no t- contradictions in it whatsoever. It is the perfect, perfect book. And if anybody said, I remember this one time, I do remember, this would have been back in the early 90s. This one time somebody actually challenged me on that. And quite honestly, I didn't at the time, at the time I didn't, but quite honestly, it it bothered me. You know, I'm kind of grasping for straws trying to combat this whole idea that there might be an error in the Bible. There might be a contradiction. And now looking back, I can say the reason why I was like that is because my knowledge was very, very shallow about the whole subject of the Bible. My faith was very, very weak. My doctrine was very limited. And so over the course of time, it took years of reading and studying. It took thousands of hours. I think maybe my eyes started to open after hundreds of hours, but it took thousands of hours to get to where I am today, where it's like, I am confident that it's good to acknowledge the corruptions and the contradictions of the 66 books that we have. And the reason being is because millions of people know it's true. I mean, a lot of, and a lot of people become atheists because they read the Bible and they see the contradictions clearly. They, they know, and you got scholars, like, especially from the Muslim world, you have scholars that they know the scriptures. I'm going to be very, I'm going to be very frank with you guys. They know the scriptures better than Christians do. Okay, and when they know there was a corruption in the scriptures or when they know there is a contradiction and Christians look at it, look the truth, bold face, they look at the truth directly in the eyes and they deny it. It makes it it makes them look bad. It makes them look like they are denying the truth, which they are. It makes them look like they are grasping for straws trying to bend every, you know, do textual gymnastics, hermeneutical gymnastics to try to make one passage align with the other. And really, at the end of the day, for those who really have some God-given logic, some God-given reason, and God-given knowledge, at the end of the day, it makes them look 
foolish. I think we need to get to the point in our lives, in our walk with God, where we can confidently confidently say, yes, I know there are corruptions. Yes, I know there are contradictions, but that's okay. In fact, that's good because we know what it is that's corrupt. So indirectly, we're saying we know that it, we know what the truth is. If we know what, what, that this particular thing is false, then we know what the truth is. And if you know that it's corrupt, then you can trace it back and to find out how and when and who corrupted it. It makes your faith so much stronger. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. I mean, uh, studying the scriptures and and knowing the history of the Bible and the history of the scriptures and knowing that corruptions did seek in, sneak in, or seep in, I should say, <laughs> um, and acknowledging that is just being honest and it's being truthful. And we should never be afraid of the truth. If God is the God of the truth, we should never be afraid of the truth. We should never be afraid of acknowledging the truth. And a lot of Christians are afraid of acknowledging the truth when it comes to textual problems in the Bible. They're afraid of it because they, they're their belief system, their religion is the Bible is perfect, and it's it's the and, and it, if it wasn't perfect, then everything collapses on them. And we it should never get to that point. It should never get to that point. A lot of people have created. Put it this way: the atheism that has pervaded the West in recent years is because of the doctrine of the church. It's because of people who worship their 66-book Bible canon. It's because of inaccuracies. It's because of error. It's because that these people believe and preach falsehood that can be easily proven as being false. And people know it. Some people know it. And thus, it makes it look bad on, on the name of God. It makes it look bad on the scriptures, actually. So the best thing we could do is to preach the truth about the scriptures, about the Bible, about the 66-book Bible, about how each and every book came to be, about the history of each and every book independent of the other. It's, it's very, very important. And so that's why we're doing what we're doing. That's why we're doing what we're doing. Okay, so we're going to get into 2 Samuel chapter 5. We're going to get into 1 Chronicles chapter 11. Let me get to some of your comments here first quickly. Josh asks, are you a Torah keeper? Assuming that you mean that, it depends on how you define that, because you got people, a Torah keeper, put it this way, 
I believe that every Christian, especially, should be a person who does their best to align themselves with the instructions that we have in the Torah. Pharisee are the law keepers. Well, someone, Pleo says, Pharisee are the law keepers. Uh, I don't know about that. I mean, first of all, Yeshua said very clearly, Jesus very, very clearly um, condemned the Pharisees for doing very, very bad things. I mean, things that are really against the Torah, really against the law of God. You read it. I mean, it's all the way through the Gospels. Horrible things these Pharisees did. Abusing the elderly. Um, you know, not loving their neighbors as they should. Exalting themselves and, and uh, above their neighbors and, and lording it over people. That, all that stuff is against the Torah. That's not loving your neighbors yourself. That's not being good with people. That's not being kind. The to Yeshua very clearly renounced, denounced the Pharisees as being people who break the Torah on every on every turn. Now, of course, he didn't say that explicitly, but obviously, when he says, "Hey, you know, these people are hypocrites," obviously, they're hypocrites because they're they they want to portray themselves as if they're law keepers, but they're not. Paul, put it this way: the the Christians today who call Torah observant Torah observers, Pharisees, and people who teach uh, Torah observance, they call them Pharisees. These Christians, they call them Pharisees. Like if, if you say anything about, oh, you, you got to obey the commands of God, you got to obey the law, law of God, it's like, oh, you're a Pharisee, you're a Pharisee. But these people who, 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 who call these people Pharisees, they stake their soul on Paul. Their entire doctrine is, is put on Paul. Their entire Christian their, 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 their entire Christology is, is based upon Paul. And if there's anybody in the, in the whole entire Bible that proudly proclaims himself to be a Pharisee, it's Paul. Paul was the Pharisee. So really, I mean, if it should be, I mean, really, it's kind of like the other way around. It's like, if you teach what Paul's teaching, you should be called a Pharisee because that's, that's the teachings of a Pharisee. That's the teachings of a Pharisee. At least someone who claims to be a Pharisee proudly proclaims to be a Pharisee. In the chat on YouTube, we have one John. Shalom says, Shalom, Shalom, brother. Good to see you. Welcome. Julie says, Shalom, Shalom, Julie. Welcome. Good to see you. Elizabeth says, Shalom, Shalom, Elizabeth. Welcome. Blessings multiplied to you guys. One John's got a link there to a an article about Paul. We got Byron who says Shalom, good evening, Shalom, good evening, Byron, good to see you. The Great Deception says Shalom, everyone, Shalom. <laughs> Looks like Colomento's kind of started the Shalom, but didn't really finish it. Sa, sa. Uh, going nowhere. It's that time again. Yes, and welcome. Welcome going nowhere. And 
Kalamento said, Shalom, everyone. Shalom, shalom. Good to see you. Welcome. Vinny says, Shalom, everyone. Again, Vinny from the other side of the world, from down under. Uh, question for Move says, Shalom, shalom. Good to see you, brother. Welcome. The Tower Time says, Shalom, sisters and brothers. Bless y'all. Bless you. Blessings multiplied back to you. Great to see you. All right. Byron mentions uh, Rocket League. I, I'm not a, I'm not that familiar with that game. Oh yeah, soccer. Okay, yeah. Um, I don't know a whole lot about it, but sounds 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 okay to me. Um, uh, going nowhere says fun fact: Esther eight nine is the longest verse in the Bible. Thank you very much for the fun fact. Going nowhere. Byron says I thought it was Psalms one hundred two. Hmm. I know that Psalms 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible, but as far as the longest verse, I, I can't say that I have that factoid on my at my fingertips right now. Fearfully confident over there on YouTube says anti-Torah people are now mocking us. What they don't realize is that they're mocking God. Yeah, I and I, I don't, I don't get it. I really don't get it at all. I really don't get it because, as a Christian, I mean, I grew up. I, I spent a good part of my young, younger years with my grandmother. Now she wasn't really a church going person. She was a wonderful, wonderful woman of God, and and I, I consider her, I consider her to be a holy woman of God, even though she wasn't a church goer. Um, and uh, she has always kind of ingrained it in me that, you know, once you become a Christian, you don't do all these things, you know, you, 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 you do good and you, you obey God kind of that uh, really it's because of that foundation that really, I mean, that laid the foundation to, you know, for where, uh, you know, um, for where I am today, really. But really, you think about it. If someone claims to love God uh, and believe in God, to love God, but they don't obey God's commands and they don't they don't listen to God's instructions, like what's up with that? It just doesn't make sense. It's like I love my boss, but I don't have to do anything he says. Forget about that. I love him. Oh, I love him. I'm very close to him. I'm best friends, but forget about. I don't have to do anything he says. And like, figure that out. I mean, if you want to, you want to be close to the master, you have to align yourself appropriately. Playo says Paul was a Pharisee of Gambrel. Can't help that they could not keep the law. Question mark? Too hard. Um, there's a lot to say about that. I mean, you know, a lot of people don't believe that Paul was a Pharisee to begin with. He claimed to be a Pharisee time and time and time again. I believe it was three times actually, uh, where he claimed to be a Pharisee. Luke uh, in the book of Acts recorded that he uh, the, that Paul sat at the feet of God. Uh, um, what's his name now? Um. Ah, uh, the, the the name just and you said Gambrell. Uh, what's his name now? 
Um, you messed me up with that name, Gambrell. I mean, it's I know what you have. I know what you mean. It's not Gambrell. It's it's, it's similar to that. Uh, Gamaliel. That's it. Gamaliel. Gamliel uh, in the uh, in the Hebrew. But see, a lot of people, a lot of people, uh, they don't believe that Paul was truly a Pharisee because you know, Pharisees have existed all the way up until this day. There are a lot of people today, believe it or not, you know, a lot of Jewish people today who claim to be a Pharisee. Um, in fact, we had one on, not, you know, a few months ago and we had, uh, you know, we had Tovia on and he said that he's a Pharisee. Um, but you see, and there's other people too on TikTok. I know of another uh, another gentleman that uh, actually I like this this particular gentleman very much, and he said very clearly, "I am a Jew. I am a Pharisee," and I respect that. But they say that look at Paul. How how can Paul be a Pharisee and do what he did? Because it's it's against the Torah to do what he did in the, in in you know against Christians and, and to persecute the Christians unto death like that that's against the Torah that's against the law of God how can he be a pharisee not only that that's the first point number 2 is how can he be under Gamaliel when he does not obey even Gamaliel he didn't obey even Gamaliel was it uh acts chapter 5 without pulling it up and just if my memory serves me correctly, Acts, Acts chapter five, you know the uh, uh, the the, the uh, some of the original disciples and you know people, uh, some of the, the believers back in those days, they were they were pulled before the Jewish court. You know, is it okay for them to be preaching what they're preaching about Yeshua and yada yada yada? And Gamaliel, being the head of the Sanhedrin in those days. Being the head of the Jewish court in those days, Gamaliel uh, came down with the with the ruling. He made a ruling. He he came down with the final judgment against not against the Christians, but he, about the Christians. Gamaliel said in Acts chapter five, "Leave these men alone. Leave them alone. If they're not of God, they'll they'll go away. Don't worry about it." Just don't touch them. Leave them alone. If they're of God, then you're fighting against God. Leave them alone. If Paul was really under Gamaliel, what was he doing, what he did to Christians back in those days? Against Gamaliel's orders. Against the Torah. I mean, there's a lot of things. You think about this. A lot of things a lot of people don't think about. They read, they read, you know, Acts and they read the letters of Paul and then they, they, it's all, uh, filtered through modern Christianity and they don't see the things that I'm talking about. They, they have these, you know, they have these glasses on that they can, you know, a lot of things they don't see, but it, it's very important to really, really think about these things. That's very, very important. See what's going on over there on on uh, YouTube. Yeah, fearfully confident. Just what I was actually. I didn't even. I didn't read this, but you're you're saying exactly what I just said. Uh, Matthew twenty three verses one to three proves the Pharisees did not keep the law. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's why when Yeshua said, 
you know, your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees in order to, in order to see the kingdom of heaven, in order to see the kingdom of God, uh, because the Pharisees were so wicked. They were so wicked. They were so much against the Torah. I mean, their lips were, I mean, lip service. They played lips, they paid lip service to the Torah, but not, you know, they didn't do it. Like a lot of Christians today, they pay lip service to God, but they don't live the life. Mark says, Shalom. Shalom, Mark, over there on YouTube. The Great Deception says they call evil good, good, or good and good evil. Yes. Mark says, can you explain what the Didache is? Yes, the Didache is an old, is a, it's an ancient document. Uh, Didache, meaning the teaching, and the subtitle of the Didache is the teaching of the Twelve. The Didache is um, a, a book um, that is uh, um, the, it's, it's actually, that's what it is. It's, it's a teaching of the 12. It's basically like the, it's like a, the disciples handbook. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's like a summary, uh, of, uh, what the, the original 12 disciples taught. And I think, I think it's extremely important for people to read, to study the Didache. It's a, there's a lot of good things in the Didache. Yes, absolutely. You read it. Uh, it's awesome. Wow. Uh, fearfully confident. What an awesome uh, statement here. Uh, says, I can only imagine what a world we have, what a world we have if Christians defended Yeshua with the same zeal they, they defend Paul. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you say something about Jesus. Oh, Jesus taught something that's not true. Uh, they kind of just, they'll just, you know, they'll just ignore that. But you say, Paul taught something that's not true. Oh, no, no, oh, no, 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 no. Paul is perfect. He's perfect. Absolutely perfect. Don't you ever say that. If you say that, you are, you, you know, they, they, they accuse you of the worst crime ever. And again, that's why I call them Paulians. They go by the teaching of Paul more than the teaching of Christ. As a Christian, a Christian, you're supposed to go by the teaching of Christ and the example of Christ. But these people don't. They ignore that. They pick and choose. They, they take the nice little fluffy, flowery things that Jesus said, and then they, they leave the rest. But they take everything that Paul says as, as perfect. Question for move says, um, just wanted what the, just wanted what the name of the book you said that bought as a teen. Do you think it could help me in any way? I think I have sinned willfully, maybe more than once, uh, but I still want to repent. Well, that's a great thing. I mean, that's the way to do it. I mean, repentance is the way. Uh, that's that's the answer. You know, that's that's it. This this is the book right here. I still have it right in front of me. Um, Again, for those of you who are on TikTok and everybody else, 
maybe I should contact the publisher and say, Hey, you know what? I've been, I've been, I've been pushing your, your book for a long time. You know, honestly, I don't get a penny for saying any of this stuff. I don't get any, it, I don't know. I don't even know who, who Harvester House, whatever. I, I have nothing to do with the publisher. I have nothing to do with the author. I don't, I don't know him personally or anything like that. Never talked to him. In fact, maybe one of these days, maybe I should invite him on here as a, as a guest if he's, if he's still around. Um, yeah. Uh, so this is the book. Now, this book, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think whether I should, whether I should say this is for everybody. It's, it certainly would be more beneficial for people who have dabbled in other, and there's, a, there's a significant amount, not everything, but there's a, a significant amount of, um, of teaching in here against, you know, like false religions or false, like uh, occultism, new age, uh, spiritualism and all that kind of stuff. But that's not, I mean, it's, it's, that's not what this book is about. This book's really, it just covers everything really, uh, in, in regards to spiritual warfare. And so, uh, I know you guys on TikTok, it's like backwards on you guys. It's uh, mirrored. But it says, Winning Spiritual Warfare, Steps to Freedom in Christ, Neil T. Anderson. I think you can get this on Amazon or on Christian Book and probably several other places. Um, yeah. Um, I highly recommend everybody to get it. Actually, I do. <laughs> but especially if you like some of the steps to freedom in Christ, like if any of these these steps mean anything to you, I'll just go through a few of them. I mean, just just the titles, the titles of these things. Steps to freedom in Christ. Step one, counterfeit versus real. Again, talking about counterfeit doctrines and counterfeit religions. Deception versus truth is step two. Step three is bitterness versus forgiveness. Now, I'm, I'm telling you right now, everyone should read about that one. Everyone should read that one. Bitterness versus forgiveness, that can apply to everybody everywhere no, without a question. Uh, step four, rebellion versus submission. Step five, pride versus humility. Another good one that, that can apply to everybody. Step six, uh, bondage versus freedom. And step seven is equations versus renunciation. Basically, um, uh, let me see here. Yeah, like renouncing all kinds of spiritual uh, pollution that that you've picked up in your in your in your life, and uh, in you know, uh, it, it's just amazing. Um, it has blessed me abundantly. Uh, if you do get this book, again, I don't get anything for saying this, but if you do get this book, I highly recommend. If you do get it, to take an evening, set it aside. Without distractions, go alone by yourself, wherever, to go to your room, whatever you got to do. Open this book and read it in one sitting. It is a very small little, it's like more like a booklet, 48 pages total. Read it in one sitting and and read it and pray. It's got prayers in there. Um, pray every prayer with all of your heart and if you don't, if this doesn't bless you, I don't know, you know, 
If that doesn't bless you, I don't know. But that this goes back. This goes all the way back to 1992 for me. I tell you that much. Mark says uh, six bucks on Amazon. Tons of good reviews. Great. One John, actually, one John says uh, he found one at say three forty nine, three forty nine. Okay, without. Uh, okay, so what I'm going to do is going to read the. We got four chapters to read. Um, Samuel five, First Chronicles eleven and twelve. Psalms 133, and then I will get back to your comments and your questions. So feel free to draw. If you got any specific questions that you want to draw attention, um, you want to you want me to answer specifically, just put at Christopher in in the um, in the live chat, and that will stand out to me. Okay, so 2 Samuel chapter 5 and 1 Chronicles chapter 11 and 12 kind of go together. So that's why I put them together. For those of you who are on YouTube, I have them, uh, I'm sharing my screen right now side by side. We got 2 Samuel 5 and 1 Chronicles 11. And you can see the first the first several verses are very, very similar. This is, this is the reason why I put them side, side by side. Um, let's begin with... Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 5. David reigns over all Israel. Verse 1. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David and at Hebron and said, and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also, in time past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. Notice here that they always have to anoint. The, you know, they can't just proclaim. It's like it's it's, it's got to. It's like a ceremony. They have to anoint. And, and anointing David as king would would um, it would it would involve getting uh, a spiritual leader, a priest, a prophet to pour oil, literally pour oil over the head of King David. Verse four. David was thirty years old when he began to reign, and he ran, he reigned forty years. I find that to be a little bit interesting as. Well. Well, because we know we have the son of David, quote unquote, son of David. Uh, tradition tells us that he, uh, Yeshua, uh, was 30 years old when he basically began his ministry, uh, his public ministry anyway, as we read. Let me just, let me just backtrack that a little bit. Not so much his public ministry, but rather his school. Because remember, he was a rabbi and he chose his 12 disciples. See, we do have, we do have um, other books, extra biblical books that tell, that tell us a lot about Yeshua in his, early, in his early years from his birth all the way up until when he was 30 years old. 
Um, and apparently he did a lot of miracles. A lot of things happened in, in that in that time. So it's not like nothing happened before he was 30. Rather, uh, when he was 30, that's when he basically uh, he became a rabbi formally and chose his 12 students to train them. By the way, for all the Paulians that may be listening right now, he did not choose Paul. At least not for his face-to-face, hands-on, personal, first-hand witness teaching. Okay, At best, someone could argue that he, ch- he chose Paul way after the fact. But he did, not cho- he did not choose Paul to be one of the twelve. Verse 5. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. Now, going too far, let's just go skip on over here to the right side. First Chronicles chapter 11. Very, very similar. Then all Israel came together or came together to David at Hebron, saying, Indeed, we are bone, your bone and your flesh. Also, in time past, even when Saul was king, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord your God said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over my people Israel. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron. And David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel according to the word of the Lord by Samuel. Okay, footnote there by Samuel. Um, it, by the hand of Samuel, literally by the hand of Samuel. Okay, back to first, uh, second Samuel chapter five. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. Let me just go over here to 1 Chronicles chapter 11 and pull that up and see what this uh, says. Uh, Verse 4, And David and all Israel went to Jerusalem, which is Yebus, or Jebus, Jebus, where the Jebusites are, the inhabitants of the land. I find it interesting because you see, we got this extra, we got this extra. I'm highlighting it for those of you who are on YouTube right now. You're watching. Uh, I am hiding like I'm. I am highlighting this particular phrase, which says, "Which is Yebus." Uh, th- that's not found in Second Samuel. Uh, and I think about what uh, you know, uh, Doctor Snyder said there on Friday evening, and um, it sticks with me where he said that uh, normally you would have uh, the uh, if you have. Uh, if you have a newer text, it would take an older text and add to it. So the older text would be the shorter text and the newer text would be the longer text. Uh, and like I said, we know uh, scholarly, uh, you know, speaking from a scholarly point of view, we know that First uh, Chronicles, 2 Chronicles are um, a midrash, uh, more like a, uh, almost like a rehashing and a little bit of explaining uh, 
rehashing of scriptures that already existed back in those days, namely 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings. So again, 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings takes precedence over 1st and 2nd Chronicles. Verse 5 of 1st Chronicles chapter 11. But the inhabitants of Jebus said to David, you shall not come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is King David. Now David said, whoever attacks the Jebusites first shall be chief and captain. And Joab, the, the son of Zeruiah, Zeruiah uh, went up first and became chief. Then David dwelt in the stronghold. Therefore, they called it the city of David. In the footnotes, we have uh, Zion. 2 Samuel 5, 7, which we have just read. Verse 8. And he built the city around it from the Milo to the surrounding area. Joab repaired the rest of the city. So David went on and became great, and the Lord of hosts was with him. Now again, skipping back over here to 2 Samuel chapter 5. Verse 8, it says, Now David said on that day, Whoever climbs up by the way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, or the Jebusites, the lame and the blind, who hated, who are hated by David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Therefore, they say, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. Then David dwelt a stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built all around the millow and inward. So David went on and became great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. Now, you see what I see that this particular thing here, um, uh, First Chronicles chapter 11, we have um, the whole account of Joab or Joab, uh, which we do not see in Second Samuel chapter 5. It was added uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Okay, so 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 11. Then Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar, tree, cedar trees and carpenters and masons. And they built David a house. So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over, over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he had come from Hebron. Also more sons and daughters were born to David. Now these are the names of those who were born to him in, in Jerusalem. Shamua, Shamua in the footnotes is Shemea, elsewhere, okay, Shemea. Someone might say, well, why, how can Shemaiah be Shemua and Shemua be Shemaiah? Again, remember the Hebrew does not have vowels. So um, it, would be, it would be spelt the same, just said differently. And again, this is the reason why another you know, piece of evidence why I, I don't think that it's extremely important. It's not like a make it or break it deal regarding the pronunciation of, of names. 
it, it doesn't really matter that much about how you pronounce it, although it's a very interesting topic and it's a very interesting thing to seek out. And it, you know, I think it's very interesting. I think it's very good to, you know, to try to find out exactly how things were pronounced. I think that's super interesting. However, is it like mandatory or important to pronounce it properly in that sense, to pronounce it originally, like the original way of pronouncing it? A lot of these things we don't know. And I don't think it's even possible to find out. And I don't think it's really that, that important or else. I mean, God would make it very clear here, like Shemua and Shemaya, the same person, just different ways of saying it. Shobab is the next one. Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Nepheg, Yafia, Elishema, Eliada, and Eliphalet. Okay, so Elishua has got a footnote here. Uh, literally, it is the master of breakthroughs. Master of breakthroughs is kind of a weird way of saying, uh, it's kind of a weird way of translating Elishua because Eli means my God or God my, and Shua means uh, salvation. So basically what it, what it, what that name means, Elishua, uh, one of David's sons, it would, it would mean God is my salvation. God, my salvation. Uh, so it's kind of interesting. It's kind of weird that they would say it means master of breakthroughs. I guess master uh, in God of breakthroughs instead of breakthrough would be salvation or you know victory. I guess in that sense you might you know in a very abstract way of putting it. Okay, before we get too far here, um, so this is where Chronicles goes off. It gets quite a bit different than than uh, first. Then Second Samuel, so I will just leave. I'll, I'll leave that for later. I'll read the rest of Second Samuel chapter five. So Second Samuel chapter five verse seventeen. Now when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David, and David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. The Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Raphaim. So David inquired of the Lord, saying. Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. So David went to Baal Perazim. Okay. Baal Perazim means the Lord of the breakthrough. Talk about breakthroughs. There it is. Lord of the break, breakthrough. Um. Let me just read this. This is, some, it's this, this is an interesting passage. David went, went to Baal Perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, the Lord, okay, you know, capitals, which would be uh, yod he wow the Tetragrammaton, the four-letter name of God. The Lord has broken through my, my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. Therefore, he called the name of the place Baal, Baal Perazim. Okay. So here is a, a very interesting thing. David, because the Lord broke through for him, he, he said, Hey, uh, I'm just going to call this the Lord of the breakthrough. Uh, in the footnotes here, it says here, literally, Master. Oh, you know what? I got that wrong. I see what I did here. I, um, in the footnotes earlier, Ali Shema. Um, I, I confuse that with uh, D there. So, master of the breakthroughs. Yes, 
That's what uh, Baal Perazim means. Lord of the breakthroughs or master of the break- breakthroughs. And they left their images there, and David and his men carried them away. Left their images or their idols there. Verse 22, And the Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, and he said, You shall not go up, circle around behind them, and come up, come upon them in the front of the mulberry trees. And it shall be, when you hear the sound of the marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall advance quickly, for the Lord will go about or will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. And David did so as the, as the Lord commanded him. And he drove back the Philistines from Geba as far as Gezer. Geba in the footnotes in the Septuagint and in the Masoretic text and in the Tar- Targum and in the Vulgate, it says Gibeon. Gibeon instead of Geba. Again, different spelling, same same basic name, but different spelling, different pronunciation. Okay, skipping over here to second or first chronicles, excuse me, verse 11. Now these were the heads. First Chronicles chapter 11, excuse me, verse 10. Now these were the heads of the mighty men whom David had, who strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom, with all Israel, to make him king according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. And this is the number of the mighty men whom David had. Yeshobeam, the son of Hakmonite, of a Hakmonite, chief of the captains. He had lifted up his spear against 300, killed him, killed by him at one time. After him, Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite, who was one of the three mighty men. He was with David at Pastamim. Now there, now there, there the Philistines were gathered for battle, and there was a piece of ground full of barley. So the people fled from the Philistines, but they stationed, stationed themselves in the middle of that field, defended it, and killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. Now three of the 30 chief men went down to the rock to David, into the cave of Adullam, and the army of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Raphaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David said with longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So the three broke through the the camp of the Philistines, threw water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, David would not drink it, but pour it out to the Lord. And he said, Far be it from me, O my God, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of these men who have put their lives in jeopardy? For at the risk of their lives, they brought it. Therefore, he would not drink it. These things were done by the three mighty men. Abishai, the brother of Joab, was the chief of of another three. 
he had lifted up his spear against 300 men, killed them, and won a name among these three. Of the three, he was more honored than the other two men. Therefore, he became their captain. However, he did not attain to the first three. Benaiah was the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man from Kabzael, who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. And he killed an Egyptian, a man of, of great height, five cubits tall. In the footnotes, it says about seven and a half feet. And it was about seven and a half feet. Seven and a half feet. In the Egyptian's hand, there was a spear like a weaver's beam. And he went down to him with a staff, wrested the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. These things Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, did, and won a name among the three mighty men. Indeed, he was more honored than the thirty, but he did not attain to the first three. And David appointed him over his guard. Also, the mighty warriors of Asahel, the brother of Joab, Ahanan, the son of Dodo of Bethlehem, Shamoth, the Harorite, Helez, the Palanite, Ira, the son of Kesh, the Tekoite, Abiezer, the Anathothite, Sibekai, the Hushathite, Eli, the Aholite, Maharai, the Natafathite, Haled, the son of Bana, the Natafathite, Ethai, the son of Ribai, of Gibeah, of the sons of Benjamin, Benaiah, the Pirithonite, Hurai, of the brooks of Gaash, Abiel, the Arbathite, Osmaveth, the Baharamite, Eliab, Eliaba, the Shaalbanite, the sons of Hashem. There's Hashem right there, the name Hashem. Uh, let me just see what the footnote says here. Hashem. Jashin, very interesting. Jashin is actually Hashem. Hashem, by the way, is, is literally means the name. Ha in Hebrew is the Shem name. Excuse me, this is what um, the Jews uh, refer commonly refer to the Lord as Hashem. The sons of Hashem, the Gizanite, Jonathan, the son of Shege, the Har- Hararite, Ahiam, the son of Sakar, the Hararite, El- Eliphal, the son of Ur, Hefer, the son of uh, Hefer the Mekarathite, Ahiyah the Palanite, Hezro the Carmelite, Narari, Naari the son of Ezbi, Yoel the brother of Nathan, Mibhar the son of Hagri, Zalek the Ammonite, Naharai 
the Barothite, the armor bearer of Yoab, the son of Zariah, Ira, the Ithrite, Garab, the Ithrite, Uriah, the Hittite, Zabad, the son of Ahlai, Adina, the son of Shiza, the Reubenite, a chief of the Reubenites, and 30 with him. Hanan, the son of Maaka, Yehoshaphat, the Mithnite, Uziah, the Ashtarathite, Shama, the Shama, and Yeyel, the sons of Hotham, the Arorite, Yadiel, the son of Shimri, and Yoha, his brother, the, Tiz, the Tizite, Eliel, the Mahavite, Yerubai, and Joshaviah, or Yoshaviah, the sons of El Naam, Ithma, the Moabites, Eliel, Obed, and Yaasiel, Yaasiel, the Mezobite. First Chronicles chapter 12, the growth of David's army, verse 1. Now these were the men who came to David at Ziklag while he was still a fugitive from Saul, the king of or the son of Kish. And they were among mighty men, helpers in the war, armed with bows, using both the right hand and the left in hurling stones and shooting arrows with the bow. They were of Benjamin, Saul's brothers, or Saul's brethren. The chief was Ahiezer. Then Yoash, the sons of Shema'ah, uh, Shema'ah in the footnotes, or Hashma'ah, the, Gibe- the Gibeathite, Yaziel and Pelet, the sons of Osmaveth, Baraka and Yahu, the Anathite, excuse me, Anathothite, Anathothite, Ishmael the Gibeonite, a mighty man among the thirty and over the thirty, Jeremiah, Yaziel, Yohanan, again, this is a form of the name John, and Yozabad, the Gederathite, Eluzai, Yerimoth, Baaliah, Shemariah, and Shephatiah, the Harophite, Elkanah, Yeshia, Azarel, Yoazer, and Yashobayam, the Korathites, and Yoela and Zebediah, 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 the sons of Yoram of Gedor. Some Gadites joined David at the stronghold in the wilderness, mighty men of valor, men trained for battle, who could handle shield and spear, whose faces were like the faces of lions, 
and were as swift as gazelles on the mountains. Azer, the first, Obadiah, the second, Eliab, the third, Mishmana, the fourth, Jeremiah, the fifth, Atai, the sixth, Eliel, the seventh, Yohanan, the eighth, Elzabad, the ninth, Jeremiah, the tenth, Machbanai, the eleventh. These were the sons of Gad, captains of the army. The least was over a hundred, and the greatest was over a thousand. These are the ones who crossed the Jordan in the first month when it when it had overflowed all its banks, and they put to flight all those in the valleys to the east and to the west. Then some of the sons of Benjamin and Judah came to David at stronghold, and David went out to meet them and answered them and said to them, If you have come peaceably to me to help me, my heart will be united with you. But if to betray me to my enemies, since there is no wrong in my hands, may the God of our fathers look and bring judgment. Then the spirit came upon Amasai, chief of the captains, and he said, We are yours, O David. We are on your side, O son of Jesse, or Yeshay. Peace, peace to you. Suppose out in the Hebrew is Shalom Alechem. And peace to your helpers, for your God helps you. So David received them and made them captains of the troop. And some from Manasseh or Manasseh defected to David when he was going with the Philistines to battle against Saul. But they did not help him, for the lords of the Philistines sent him away by agreement, saying, He may defect to his master Saul and endanger our heads. When he went to Ziklag, those of Manasseh who who defected to him were Adna, Yozabad, Yadiel, Yadiel, that's a hard one to say, Yediel, Yediel, Mikael, or Michael, Yozabad, Elihu, and Zilathai, captains of the thousands who were from Manasseh. And they they helped David against the bands of raiders, for they were all mighty men of valor, and they were captains in the army. For at that time they came to David day by day to help him, until he was a great army like the army of God. Now these were the numbers of the divisions that were equipped for war and came to David at Hebron to turn over the kingdom of Saul to him, according to the word of the Lord. Of the sons of Judah, bearing shield and spear, 6,800 armed for war. Of the sons of Simeon, mighty men of valor, fit for war, 7,100. Of the sons of Levi, 4,600. Jehoiada, the leader of the Aaronites, and with him 3,700. Sadok, a young man, a valiant warrior, from his father's house, 22 captains. Of the sons of Benjamin, relatives of Saul, 3,000. 
Until then, the greatest part of them had remained loyal to the house of Saul. Of the sons of Ephraim, 20,800 mighty men of valor, famous men throughout their father's house. Of the tribe of Manasseh, 18,000 who were designated by name to come and make David king. Of the sons of Issachar, who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Their chiefs were 200, and all their brothers were at their command. Of Zebulun, there were 50,000 who went out to battle, expert in war with all weapons of war, stout-hearted men who could keep ranks of Naphtali, or Naphtali, 1,000 captains, and with them, 37,000 with shield and spear of the Danites who could keep battle formation, 28,600 of Asher, those who could go out to war, able to keep battle formation, 40,000 of the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh from the other side of the Jordan. 120,000 armed for battle with every kind of weapon of war. All these men of war who could keep ranks came to Hebron with a loyal heart to make David king over all Israel. And all the rest of Israel were of one mind to make David king. And they were, and they were there with David three days, eating and drinking, for their, for their brothers had prepared for them. Moreover, those who were near to them, as far as, or excuse me, from as far as Issachar and Zebulun and Naphtali, were bringing food on donkeys and camels, on mules and oxen, provisions of flour and cakes of figs and cakes of raisins, wine and oil and oxen and sheep abundantly, for there was joy in Israel. Okay, so moving moving on over to Psalm 133, and then I'll get to your I'll get to the live chat in both in both the um TikTok and as well as YouTube. Sinner and Believer says Shalom family, Shalom, good to see you. Mr. Boy T-Rex says hi. Hello. Okay. Psalm 133. Blessed unity of the people of God. Song of Ascents of David. Verse 1. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down upon on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, or Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life, forevermore. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's see what we got here in the live chat.
Someone asked me if it's my opinion um, if Paul wrote Hebrews. No, I don't think he did. It's possible, but I think that it's more like that he didn't. I mean, I don't think anybody can say with any degree of like 100% certainty who wrote Hebrews. I really don't. And I know traditionally speaking, they say, yes, Paul wrote Hebrews, but it's so much is not like Paul in several ways. There are a few things in there that sounds like Paul, but not. It certainly is a lot different than like he doesn't all of his other letters. He 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 starts all of his epistles by identifying himself. And, you know, he you know, I am you know, Paul so and so and I'm the Paul, the apostle to, writing to whoever. Uh, not like that at all in Hebrews. His greeting is not in Hebrew. The, the the signature greeting of Paul is not in Hebrews. Um. And the tone of Hebrews doesn't sound very much. It, it sounds Paulish, but not that much like Paul. It could have been one of Paul's sidekicks that wrote Hebrews or someone that was influenced somehow by Paul. But um, it, I, I, I will say this, like in my own... My own opinion, think, I mean, it's a good question, Playo one, one, two, three. My own opinion, uh, 66% says, no, it wasn't Paul, right? <laughs> and the rest is like, you know, two-thirds of me says, no, it wasn't Paul. One-third says it could have been. Yeah, I mean, this it's possible. Very good question. Thank you for your question. Let's see what we got here over there on uh, YouTube. Fearfully confident, ask the question, do you think the mindset should be instead of we have to follow Torah, we get to? Um, I'm not all that fond of talking about the motive. As long as it's done. You know, you hear a lot of people saying, well, you don't have to, but you should, or, you know, you, you don't have to, but we do because we love God or, you know, uh, but I, I understand what you're saying. And it is a really good question because a lot of people, yeah, you know what, to, to answer your question, I would say we should look at it like, we get to like, like it's just so much of a privilege to have the word of God, to have those writings. You think about it. Can you imagine what would it be like not to have the Torah, not to have access to the Torah or if the Torah didn't even, if it, if the Torah didn't exist, like, it's like, it's just like one of the greatest privileges ever in life. So it's like, yeah, I've heard of people like in other countries, um, like they'd do anything just for one page of scripture, like just one page. It's like they'll, they'll basically lay their life down for like one page. And, and there's so many people today that are just throwing out like most of the scriptures. And they accept Paul as holy word of God and everything else is thrown out basically. They keep Luke and Acts only because Luke is a 
Luke supports Paul, right? The Marcion, the the um the Marcion, the canon, the Marcion, oh, what do you call it? The, the canon of Marcion, the Marcion, the Marcionite canon, uh accepted again, not all of the letters of Paul, because about seven or so of letters of Paul, several letters of Paul, let me put it that way, uh, plus Luke. Um, because Luke, you see, kind of supports Paul, kind of kind of can, you know, kind of paves the way for Paul. Almost like how John the Baptist paved the way for Jesus, Luke paved the way for Paul, especially in the book of Acts. You know, the book of Acts is like a bridge between between the so-called Old Testament and Paul, um, introducing Paul, giving Paul credibility. So, yeah, we should we should be we should look at the Word of God, all Scripture, as like just absolutely so grateful to God that we have it, and 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 uh, it, we should be excited to have you look at you look at um again you look at um i'll show you guys an example of how much the jewish people rejoice over the torah i'm pretty sure a lot of you guys have already seen this but you got like you got people in torah celebrations like they they go outside they march around they march around inside the synagogue they march outside they they just have like a blast um they just have like a blast. Let me see if I can get this. Uh, they celebrate the Torah. Just like how the book of um, Psalms actually says that we should actually celebrate the Torah. Uh, just a second here. I wonder if I can get this up. Yeah, like like stuff like this. I mean, they, these people are just they just having this they come, great they time. Come. Like, I mean, it's all just basically just celebrating the Torah. So, like um, the Torah comes noticed, out. We were now joined by a few more Torahs that were taken out of the synagogue. And yeah, like again, like these guys are just these guys. Let me just back it up a little bit here. But I guess it is. Okay. I saw it from a different angle. Whatever. Just back it up a little bit here. But these guys are like just celebrating the Torah like crazy, like these, you know. Uh, and this is this is this is something that is um, that's normal. You see this like this is common in in Jewish celebrations, celebrating the Torah. Yeah, so like like that kind of stuff is common. You see it like like they do it like all the time. They celebrate the Torah like all the time, um, pretty much every service. And when the Torah comes out, it's celebrated. It is. It is. Uh, they 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 dance. They have a great time just for the Torah. So yeah, I mean, we should look at it like you know we get to, um, but we have to at, at the same time too. <laughs> so we should have a good we should have a good attitude about it. Very good question. Fearfully confident. Going nowhere says, have you ever read Pilgrim's Progress? I have not.
Will's um, another brother by the name of Will asked on TikTok, Paul who? Um, I'm talking, I spoke earlier about Paul the Apostle. Going nowhere, asked a question on YouTube. Uh, what does it mean that God rested on the seventh day? Hard to imagine, hard to imagine God ever feels tired. And this is a this is a good, I mean, it's a good question because this is a case of what does the what does the text actually say? What does it not say? Okay, it says that he rested, but it doesn't say he was tired. And I think one of the reasons why he rested, if if not for any other reason, is just to give us an example. I mean, much like most, if not, uh, you might pick out just one or one or two little things uh, that's an exception. But for the most part, we are to Im imitate God. You know, be holy, for I am holy. And all, like the commandments of God are just a reflection of who He is. Going nowhere. Ask another question. Where was the spirit of Jesus in three days when He was in the tomb? Did it go to hell as some teach? Um, yeah, okay, so we don't have a whole lot of information here. So, I, I mean, I can't give you detailed, um, exhaustive answer on that. I know that uh, some of the New Testament so-called, quote-unquote, Apocrypha does teach uh, that kind of thing. And I know that evangelical Christianity would teach that uh, that Jesus went to hell and he, he took the keys of hell and death from the devil and he got the keys of hell and death and he came back and he said, I got the keys of hell and death. That is absolute nonsense. I mean, when he, when he rose Lazarus, when he raised him from the dead, he already had the keys of, of death. And the keys of hell, I mean, that's, I mean, the word hell in many parts of the, of the Bible uh, means grave, okay? So, he already had the keys from from long ago, okay? It's not like he didn't have it. It's like, oh, I don't have the keys now. No, he had the keys. He always had the keys. Going nowhere says, is the Holy Spirit male just as the Father and the Son are? Yes, just as the Father and the Son are. Now, I know some people would say, hey, the Holy Spirit has, uh, you know, female qualities. Well, every male does too. Um, and some people would say, well, the Ruach HaKodesh, you know, in the Hebrew, it's it's in the feminine form. Well, so is the, I've said this as well, like, so is the Hebrew word avot. Which means fathers. It's in the feminine. It's in the feminine form. A vote. Um, does that mean all fathers are feminine? So yeah, I'd say the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the spirit is the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. So to answer your question, just as the Father and the Son are, the answer would be yes. Yeah, question for Move says, I heard that Jesus preached the gospel in Sheol. I don't think he he needed to. I don't think I, I really I don't I don't really buy that either because the gospel has been preached from the beginning. 
the gospel has been preached from the beginning, right from the days of Adam and Eve all the way through until today, the gospel has been preached. Even Paul, here I go again, quoting Paul, but even Paul in, in the famous book of Galatians, chapter 3, he says the, the gospel was preached to Abraham. I know some people might say, well, that was a different God. Oh, we have one God, one Father, one Lord of all, one, one holy word of God, one gospel, one faith, one baptism. We don't have a double-minded schizophrenic God, okay? We don't have a God that has double person, two personalities or a double, double standard hypocrite. He's not like that. We have one God, one word, one law for one people, one baptism. And so we have one gospel. And that gospel has, has been preached to Abraham, as Paul said. Yes, he got that right. And, and uh, it, it's been preached since uh, even before Abraham. Psalm 94 asks, Psalm 94 says, do I? I don't know what you, sorry, I don't understand um, if that's a question or. Hene Matov, yes. Psalm 133, yes. Jordan, we got Brother Jordan over there on YouTube. Hello, Jordan. Shalom, shalom. Pleo says they had no they had Noah law. Well, what was Noah law? It was God's law. This is one thing people don't understand. Their mind. Some people, and I'm not saying. Don't get me wrong, Pleo. Don't don't. Uh, no offense to you, Pleo. I'm I'm not saying this, but some people their mind doesn't go beyond. It's like well, the law of Adam, or the law of Noah, or the law of Abraham, or the law of Moses, or the law of David. Uh, it's all the it's all the law of God, okay? It's all the law of God. It's like if you're in America today, let's say let's for, let's say for example, if you are in America, I know there's people from all over the world right now listening, but if you're in America today, or what if in your country you have if you are driving a car, you have the the laws of the car, or you, you, it's the law of the of the driver, okay? If you are a pilot of an airplane, you, have, you go by the law of the pilots, the pilot law, okay? But it's really the same. It's, just, it's, it's all part of the same country. It's all part of the same legal system. And so that's the thing. No, the laws that Noah followed was part of the exact same legal system that, that Moses followed. Noah knew exactly how to serve God, just like Moses did. Noah knew the, the differences between unclean and clean animals, just like Moses did. It's, just, it's the same law, just for different people. If you're riding a bicycle down the road, you, you got to follow the laws of the bicycle. It's like, oh, I don't, you know, it's like, it I guess it depends how you look at it. I'm just saying, look at it, like, look higher. You know, it's all part of the same legal system. Jordan on YouTube asked a question. I'll get to you guys on TikTok in just a moment. Work is keeping a saint busy. You're working, Jordan, are you? Van asked a question. Uh, can you talk about circumcision? I'm still confused in terms of the flesh. So in the Torah, it's very specific. It says that it is it is 
it is to be done on the eighth day after birth. It doesn't command anybody to do it after that. However, if you want to do like anybody who may, you know, decide to do that, excuse me. If you decide to do that, I think it's an awesome thing. I think I think it's like it's something to be, especially in you know later in in years, uh, you know, in your adult life, uh, it's it's a very honorable thing that someone would would go through that uh, uh, for the sake of you know. Um, for the sake of, uh, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure there are many different reasons. Perhaps they want to identify with some of the patriarchs or, or, or because they believe that God, that's what God wants them to do. I'm sure there are different reasons why people would do that. However, someone does that. I think it's a great, I think that's very honorable. Um, but even today in, in the Orthodox Jewish, the very, you know, uh, extremely, um, uh, conservative, strict, Orthodox Jewish uh, synagogues—they don't demand that any that everybody does that. But if you do do it, it's like wow, congratulations, wow! You, I mean, you know, you deserve some honor. You know, um, it, it talks about that in Acts chapter fifteen. Acts chapter fifteen. Very, very interesting chapter. And it starts out by saying that there were men of, of Judea that said that uh, that meant that you have to get circumcised in order to be saved. And so the 12 disciples, uh, the disciples and the elders of the church, they basically had a meeting discussing that. Now, I find that interesting because here uh, these people were with Jesus. Like, we have the disciples who were with Jesus for, for an extended period of time, one year, two year, three years. They were with Jesus face to face. They were trained. They were fully trained by the Lord, hands on, face to face, fully trained. I mean, Jesus didn't do it half heartedly. He didn't do a half. He didn't do half the job and then got crucified. He did it all. He trained them fully. And then he said at the end of his training, you know, after he rose from the dead, he said, go out into all the world and preach the gospel. Go out and preach what I just taught you. I trained you guys. You're fully trained. You're ready to go. Go out and preach to the Gentiles. He made them all. By the way, they're all, all the 12 were all apostles to the Gentiles long before Paul ever got to the scene. They went out and they preached the gospel long before Paul was ever uh, ever even known to be a Christian or never even thought to be a Christian, never even thought to be a believer in Yeshua at all. Can you imagine going out into all the world, preaching to the Gentiles without ever mentioning Paul or without ever talking about any of the Paulian concepts of, you know, the Roman road of salvation or anything like that? Well, that's what they did. So, they were there and they were trained fully. They were very knowledgeable. They, they had way more knowledge than Paul ever did have and ever will have. That's the reason why Paul could not ever take Judas's place 
he could he didn't qualify according to the qualifications of Acts chapter one. The qualifications being that the person who took Judas's place had to have been a, I ha, had to have been with Jesus the whole time from the baptism until the resurrection. Why? Because Jesus was a rabbi. He was a teacher. He was he he had his school. He was a rabbi, and he had his disciples. He had his students, and so. Obviously, if you want to replace one of the students, it had to have been someone who was trained with with the other with the formal students. So it's more today. It's like a formal student and a student who is enrolled versus a student that is an auditor of the course. If you don't know what the difference is, an auditor of the course would be someone who is there for the whole entire course. They're trained just like all of the formal enrolled students are it's just that they just don't have the paperwork to prove it it's they don't have they're not formally students however they got the same training they got the same teaching they have the same experience everything so that's why they chose matthew or matthias and, and joseph between the two because they were there for everything they were trained um so these disciples and these elders of the church, they were fully trained in Acts chapter 15, yet they did not, they had to deliberate. They had to, to say, oh, do Gentiles have to be circumcised in order to get saved? Hmm. Good question. We're going to have to get back to you on that. We're going to have to go, we're going to have to have a little bit of a meeting and we're going to have to try to figure this one out. Think about that for a minute. Because, People today, if you were to go ask a pastor, does someone have to be circumcised to be saved? And if the pastor said, well, you know what? I'm not sure. Um, I'm going to have to go talk to my peers about that. Um, I mean, what would you think? Right? But that's what they did back in those days. And these people, these disciples knew way more than any pastor today would know. And by the way, Acts chapter 15, Paul was right there. He was right there. It says he was right there. And the, and the question was about the Gentiles. What do they have to do to get saved? Do they have to be circumcised or not? Or what do they have to do? Notice the 12 disciples, in fact, not one disciple, not one elder of the church, not one leader of the church gave Paul any credibility. They didn't say, hey, Paul's here. He's apostle to the Gentiles. He'll know. We'll ask him. No, they didn't ask him at all because he does not have the authority, because he does not have the experience, because he did not have the training. And he did not have the education to that, to, to know that, to, to put in the, to put his two cents in, basically. They didn't, they didn't get, they didn't, they didn't give him a word in edgewise. It was James. It was it, well, ultimately James who actually brought down the word because he's the leader of the church. Peter, of course, he had to throw his two cents in there as well. But so the the long and the short of it is, at the end of the day, so to speak, they said that the Gentiles had to obey. Again, what did they have to do to get saved? Number one, stay away from idols. Number two, don't eat anything, anything strangled. Stay away from blood and keep yourself sexually pure. Those four things. Now, today in Judaism, if you look, if you if you 
are a Gentile and you want to convert to Judaism, and you go talk to an Orthodox Jewish rabbi and say, hey, you know what? I'm a Gentile. Can I be a Jew? Can I be part of your synagogue? He'll put you through some tests, I tell you that much. Jews don't accept converts easily. They put, they, they'll put you through some tests. But one of the things they'll do is they'll say to you, at the end of the, at the, at the, at, if you pass all of your, if you, if you pass the interview, um, they'll say to you, okay, in order to convert, if you're a Gentile, you have to obey, you have to adhere to the Noahide laws, basically the laws of Noah. And those Noahide laws, they have kind of printed it up and they've added things to it. And they made it, they, you know, they, they, they made it into like seven laws, okay? Which is the, the seven laws of Noah didn't exist in that form way back in the first century in the days of the book of Acts, in the days of the, you know, in, the, in New Testament times. It did in an ancient form. Like, please understand it took hundreds of years thousands of years for for the jewish for for jewish leaders to come up with the seven noahide laws back in the days of peter and james and john and paul and all these people in the first century they had the quote unquote noahide laws although they didn't really tote them as the noahide laws um but it was like these are the laws that gentiles have to have to adhere to in order to be a jew in order to, to be accepted into the synagogue. And those are the laws that James brought down in Acts chapter 15. So if, and by the way, not one of those laws in, included circumcision. So it's a very in it's a very interesting fact that in order to be a quote unquote Christian in the in in the, in the Bible. You know, according to the book of the, uh, according to the book of Acts, in order to be a Gentile believer in Jesus, you had to convert to Judaism. How do I know that? And how did I say that? Because of the four laws that they that they required of the Gentiles in Acts chapter fifteen. Those are the laws. Those are the same laws. If you were to go to the Pharisees. In the first century, Pharisees, but actually the Pharisees were there in Acts chapter 15. But if, I mean, if you were to go in the time machine back to the first century and go talk to Gamaliel or go talk to the Jewish leaders, say, hey, I'm a Gentile. Can I join you guys? They would do the same thing. They'd say, mm-hmm. I'll, have to talk to, I'll have to talk to my peers about that. Let me, I'll get back to you. And they'll get back to you with those laws. It would be those laws. That's um, it's proof that back in those days, in the first century, quote unquote Christianity or the way believers in Jesus and and Jews were one and the same. Peter, James, and John, excuse me, all of the twelve disciples, they all worshipped. At the synagogue, they didn't. They didn't build a church with a steeple and pews and a pulpit and you know ringing a bell. They didn't do that with stained glass windows. None. It didn't exist. 
If you were a Christian in those days, you went to the synagogue and you worshiped with the Pharisees. That's how it happened. That's how it was. It wasn't for hundreds of years later until finally, well, at least decades, okay? Well into the second century, into the third century, before they really started, you know, being more like a schism of Judaism. But back in the first century, the originally, the original Christians were actual Jews. Even if they were Gentiles, they converted to Judaism in order to be Christians. That's how it worked. And the proof of it is in Acts chapter 15. See, the thing is, a lot of pastors, a lot of church leaders, a lot of Christians, they do not see that because they don't understand the culture. They don't understand the ancient Jewish culture. They don't understand the things that I'm talking about. And even if they did, even if they could understand it, they don't want to understand it. They would talk it, they would explain it away, they would, they would ignore it, they would put on the blinders because it would, it would destroy their, their theology. So they don't want to know that. So therefore, they choose not to. And they'll, 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 they'll find an excuse around it. But, you know, I mean, we're here. We just want to know the flat. We, we just want to know the truth. We want to know the truth. The unadulterated truth. And, you know, we got no church board to peer pressure us into saying something that's not biblical we just we're just it's just us and god right so i mean we just want the truth excellent question ven thank you for asking ven games and more sorry guys i'm just kind of going through the uh comments here i'll get you guys on tiktok in just a moment thank you for your patience And by the way, I just caught this off the corner, out of the corner of my eye here. Dirk, welcome back, Dirk, by the way. Blessings to you, brother. Uh, the question is, how do you personally understand the saying, before Abraham was, I am? Please, um, if, you would, if, you're, if you're serious, if you really want to know, please go over to YouTube and look at several, several days ago, I did a video on the book of the Gospel of John. Please. Uh, Listen to that, and that will that will answer that your question. It, I'm sorry, it's, it's just it's it's not like a simple question. It's not a simple answer because it's 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 a lot involved to that. Going nowhere says, I believe we have one God as well, but I would be lying if I said I didn't wonder why God in the New Testament is so gentle compared to God in the Old Testament. Um, well, it depends on how you look at it. I mean, because you've got, I mean, Yeshua certainly wasn't nice to people. He was only kind and merciful to those who came to him in humility and in repentance. But you look how he was vicious with, with, with people who were sinful, uh, hypocrites. Um, he called curses down, not upon just people, not just individuals, but groups of people. He called groups of people, sons of Satan, whitewashed, 
tombs. You're full of dead, stinking, rotten flesh. You look good on the outside. He called a woman a dog. He called another person a fox. He refused to heal somebody because they were a Gentile. Um, you got lots of stuff going on there. And a lot of people don't really pick up on, um, Plus, you got all of the book of Revelation, and that's what can be more wrathful than that. Um, you've got even Paul delivering people over to Satan. You have, um, oh, you got, you got Jesus cursing entire cities. Woe to you, Chorazin, Bethsaida. Woe to you. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty serious. You got people dropping dead just for, just for their little white lie. You got Herod dropped dead and not just dropped dead, but supernaturally eaten by worms on the spot just because he missed the beats of praising God. And all of this stuff happened in just a matter of very short, very short period of time, you know, without not counting the book of Revelation, of course, but uh, I mean, it depends on how you look at it going nowhere. Depends on how you look at it. You can say, well, the, the, you know, the Old Testament covered everything from, from creation up to the time of Yeshua. Well, that's a lot of time. Whereas the New Testament, you, we got a lot of stuff. Like I just, I'm just off the top of my head. I'm just telling you some of the stuff that it talks about, right? Um. And that's a short period of time. So, and by the way, again, I always say this: we got, we got so people praised God in the so-called Old Testament for His love, for His goodness. Oh, for God is good; the Lord is good; His love endures forever. The Lord is good; His mercy endures forever. Time and time and time again, people praising God for His love for his mercy, for his goodness. For the Lord is good and his, his mercy endures forever. Where do you see that in the New Testament? And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, where do you see that in the New Testament? So it depends on how you look at it. And it, it depends on whether or not you count. Because you see, much of the New Testament is Paul's letters, right? So, but still, Paul wasn't very, he wasn't very nice to a lot of people. He, he couldn't get along with Barnabas. He couldn't get along with um, John Mark. Couldn't get along with Peter. Um, who could he get along? He, um, in, in all of Asia rejected him. Um, he, you know, Alexander, what did he say there about Alexander? Remember that First um, Timothy 1.20, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I, whom I, Paul said, I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to, to blaspheme. Second Peter 4.14, Alexander the coppersmith, coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord, the Lord reward him according to his works. So, yeah, um, don't forget, the Torah, in its basic form, is to love God and to love others as, as yourself, to love your neighbor as yourself. It's the law of love. It's the law of liberty. 
So anything that you would read of the New Testament being gentle and kind is all because of the Torah. Will, Will Sr., good to see you, brother. Welcome. Um, John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Masculine, yes. Many times it's, it's many times in there it says he. Just reading through some of this uh, comments. I can't get to them all. Um, again, if you want something you want to specifically point out to me, just put at Christopher in the comments in the in the live chat. Julie asked the question, are we supposed to even deliver people into Satan? That's a tough question because it depends on how you see, it, it, it depends on how you translate that, how, how you interpret that, what that means. I mean, for example, I mean, um, there are some people that you can just, you, you have to give up on. And so if you give up on somebody because they are, you know, just persistently um, uh, just very persistently uh, rejecting everything you say and you just say, okay, you know, go your way. I'll go my way. You know, let the holy be holy still and the unholy be un unholy still kind of thing. It, to some people that could, that could be like giving them up to Satan kind of thing, like letting them do their own thing. You know, I mean, the church of Satan, their motto is do as thou wilt, right? It depends on how you interpret that. Yeah. You think about this. Um, one John says this, uh, remembering what Christina said, that Paul's teachings are word salad. They make little sense. He's, you know, without being overly negative, without being, like, looking at it with, at, at, at how, how can I express myself? Um, he seemed to have had, he, how can anybody do what, what Paul did and not have some psychological problems? And the way that he wrote, like he's definitely a genius. Definitely he's a genius. I don't know if he knows as much, if he knew as much as what Christians, I, mean, I actually am pretty sure he did, he did not know as much as Christians think that he knew. But um, nevertheless, I think he, he, wasn't, he wasn't a stupid man, that's for sure. Um, but it, it seems like he had problems. Let's put it that way. <laughs> if you want to put it mildly, I think he, I think he had some problems. I think he had some problems. I don't know how anybody could uh, could do what he did without having some some kind of problems. Yeah, Julie. Julie says, as Paul said in Second Timothy. Yeah, like it. It, it does seem to be very, very. Um, well, First Timothy, uh, Paul said. 
telling uh, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan. So not just Alexander, but also Hymenaeus as well. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of details we don't have there, and it's you know. At, at, you know, obviously, from our point of view, we read that. It's like, wow, that doesn't. I mean, can you imagine going to church? It's like, yeah, okay. The pastor gets up there going, hey, you know, well, John and Mary and, you know, Jimmy over there, I delivered them under Satan, by the way. I, I had, I dedicated them under Satan. I, I have, I delivered them under Satan. You know, let's have, let's have a service to deliver so and so, so and so, and his brother under Satan. What that meant, we can speculate. How that what that actually meant, but yeah, that wraps it up for tonight. Thank you again, you guys in the live chat. Thanks again for you guys that are that are listening, and um, thanks for your questions and your comments. I appreciate every one of you. You guys are awesome. You guys that are on TikTok as well. Um, tomorrow, Lord willing, we'll be back same time, same place, seven p.m. Eastern, and uh, we'll pick up where we left off. Uh, just a quick little preview of what we're going to get into tomorrow. Uh, let's just give me a second here. Tomorrow it is a couple Psalms and a few more chapters of First Chronicles. And after that, it's actually a lot of Psalms. Um, uh, it looks to be about a good 15, 20 Psalms the day after that. So one John says, thank you. And Shalom. Thank you very much, brother. I appreciate you. And thanks again, you guys watching on TikTok. So tomorrow, I'm um, sorry. I know there's some, there's some uh, comments. I, it's just a lot of comments here. A lot of um, questions and comments. Uh, if you, if you could, if you would, please come back tomorrow, submit your questions and your comments. We'll get to them uh, as it's getting a little bit later today. So tomorrow, same time, same place, 7 p.m. Eastern. I'll be back here. We'll do the same thing as what we did tonight. We'll read some scripture. We'll talk about it. We'll be, you know, um, answering your questions and fellowshipping. If you have any prayer requests, you can drop them in the live chat as well, and we'll get to them as they come in. Okay, guys, Mike says, well done, uh, Mr. Enoch, Mod Chatters. Thank you very much, Mike. Blessings to you, brother. I appreciate you. Okay, Going Nowhere says, uh, thanks for always doing these streams. They help me a lot in more ways than one. Very grateful. Thank you very much, Going Nowhere. Again, thank you for your questions. I appreciate it. Byron says, you're a blessing. Chris, thanks for everything. Thank you very much, brother. You're a blessing as well. As always, I pray the Lord bless you guys, keep you, make his face to shine upon you, lift up his countenance upon you, and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. Amen. Amen. See you tomorrow night.